the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You know, if you go to the average bookstore, and I realize you have to hunt them down these days, but trust me, they still exist. If you go to the church growth section or religious section, depending upon how your bookstore is organized, you'll find shelves there loaded with books on church growth. How to do it big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly. But what if the idea of a section of books that took the opposite tenor, that instead of doing it big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly, instead taught you how to do it slow, thoughtful, deep, deliberate. You'd probably think the books were 90 to 100 years old, wouldn't you? I mean, after all, don't we live in a day and an age when everything that we do fast equates better? I mean, let's face it, we, we just, everything we do, the more that we can do, the more rapidly we can do it, that must be good. So if it applies to information, technology, food, cars, the internet, why not faith? Why not indeed? My guest tonight, I think, would argue that um, fast is not always better. In fact, there's much in terms of the history of the church that would demonstrate just the opposite, that the approach of being slow, thoughtful, deep, and deliberate also means a church that will be sustainable and a body of believers that will be deep in their faith, in their relationship with Christ. Christopher Smith is the editor of the Inglewood Review of Books and member of the Inglewood uh, Christian Church community outside of um, Indianapolis, co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, Chris, great to have you on the program. Thanks, Greg. It's good to be with you. I'm, I'm trying to think the, the pitch to your publisher on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's got to have been either a stack of rejections or a few people that thought, clearly this guy has either lost his mind or um, uh, needs to have a serious talk with, with somebody, uh, some church growth expert, because we know in 2014, fast is just the only way to do it. Right. Yep. Um, actually, we were pretty fortunate. We found an editor that... I uh, like the idea um, from the very outset, and he basically coached us through the the whole the whole process. So uh, we were very fortunate to find find an editor who thinks outside the box. That thinking outside of the box, as much as it might seem to be uh, in terms of the way most of people that are involved in the church growth movement or have a heartbeat for all of this, is in fact not all that outside of the box, is it? In fact, I think all there's right. a, lot of, a lot of evidence to demonstrate historically that for the bulk of the history of the church, uh, that thoughtful, slow, deep, deliberate approach is exactly what uh, got the church from uh, the time of Christ to where we're at today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a long history of... of um, of patient persistence uh, in the Christian community. Uh, But it it tends to be, like you said, kind of more underground. (laughs) 
uh, not the mainstream of church history. This movement that we've seen um, that, that seems as if, um, I don't know, it's, it's like franchising the kingdom of God like it were a McDonald's, you know. Sure, absolutely. Let's, let's put them up as quickly as we possibly can. I mean, nobody, got, and I'm not picking on McDonald's, but, but any fast food restaurant, no serious, thoughtful person who really is a foodie thinks of these locations as a spot for fine dining. We're going to um, walk away with a culinary experience. Uh, we, we know what they are for what they are. You want it fast, quick, uh, that's what you do, that you know that um, it's not going to be the kind of experience um, um, colonistically that you'll be thinking out above or, or sharing with others for years to come. Uh, it's seemingly just the opposite of what we want out of church, that we do want it to be something that is going to be deep and meaningful and hopefully profound and sustaining. Uh, and yet I'm, I'm wondering, wherein lies then this, this creep toward doing it fast, equating better within the church? Well, I think it's coming from the larger culture. Uh, One of the things that we do in the book is kind of look at the history, look briefly at the history of industrialization uh, and kind of the technological growth over the last 200 years, um, basically during the industrial and now the post-industrial age. Um, And basically one of the the side effects of that sort of rise of industry, and there's there's been some great things that have come out of that industry. I mean, many people were... Uh, saved from really, really uh, hard, back-breaking work uh, through uh, the rise of industry. Uh, but, but one of the things that has happened is that has kind of continued to grow and grow and expand uh, globally is that there's kind of been an expectation for, for speed and for convenience uh, that has kind of crept into all of life, um, as you mentioned, into the food we eat and how we eat it, and, and also... Uh, we argue in the book into the way that we exist as churches, um, and and yeah, and we it, I think it's mostly just kind of been uh, a lack of critical critical thinking and acting um, in the ways that we engage the larger culture uh, that has kind of uh, and, it, and again it's kind of slowly infiltrated our churches uh, as you said in your introduction uh, the church growth movement played a big part in that and certainly there was I mean there was a good intent. Uh, in the church growth movement uh, of trying to to grow ch- churches to spread the gospel of Christ and bring more people into in, into our churches those are wonderful and noble noble goals but but because of the culture of uh, industrialization the culture of speed and efficiency um, the that that movement uh, became focused more on the numbers than on the depth um, and and that's that's the point at which it started to kind of turn and uh, move in a direction that's not not particularly helpful we think well, and, and uh, you know, not, not not healthy, too, in a spiritual standpoint in a lot of ways. I mean, let's face it, at the core, um, all of this dialogue, whether we talk about outreach, evangelism, church growth, um, discipleship, all comes down to one core issue, and that is the business of relationships. Uh, whether we're talking about building relationships interpersonally between uh, family members and husbands and wives and kids and so on and so forth, building relationships with strangers to love them to Christ, ultimately toward the, the, the penultimate goal— of a restored relationship with the Creator Himself, which is, of course, what He sent His Son to do, that substitutionary work on the cross on our behalf, so that we might be reconciled into a restored relationship with Him. And yet, we look at the world around us, and if anything, it seems to be marked by 
the notion that lasting relationships are a thing of the past because we move so fast and right. and indeliberately and 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 without a lot of of thought or care and as much as that has been the hallmark of of changing the way relationships are then I get got a little bit scary thinking well my goodness if doing it rapid and and uh, um, big and bold has had an impact in, in so many ways on sustainability of relationships what does it say about the sustainability so to speak of our relationship with the very God himself no, no doubt. And that's, uh, Craig, you've kind of hit on the reason that we actually chose the, the name Slow Church and not just uh, Slow Christianity or Slow Faith. Um, but, but we very intentionally chose the, the, the language of Slow Church because what we believe, like you were, for the reasons that you just stated, that uh, what God has been doing in the world and God continues to do in the world is, is largely centered around the gathering of a people. And this is something that began in Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Jesus. Uh, when he started his ministry, uh, came of age and started his ministry, one of the first things that he did was to gather a community of disciples around him. And we believe that it's in community, in our churches, uh, that we that we can start to recover what it means to be in meaningful relationships um, if, we, if we're willing to slow down and be attentive to, to what we've been called to be. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I think you're absolutely right that, that relationship is at the heart of what, what God is doing in the world and what we're the heart of what we're called into as followers of Jesus. So there's a little literal troubling aspect to this that this rapid results approach that we take today and it's everywhere it's pervasive everywhere within culture and and business and society and of course it's crept into church that it seems to be this focus on rapid results at the expense of long-term sustainability, and there's a number of layers in which this becomes very troubling, not only in terms of sustainability, for example, of a new church plant. How many churches come and go and come and go and come and go? And is that really the way God wants us to to do community if at the core the church is really about the neighborhood or the community? And then the other question is, if there is such a profound impact on the sustainability of church, how can we not help but wonder whether or not that might have an impact on the sustainability of our relationship with God. Oh, not that he would flutter or fail, but that we, from our perspective, might be just inclined to give up at a moment's notice. I mean, let's face it, largely in the westernized church, we're we're not really accustomed to pain or sacrifice or um, agony. In fact, we work very hard to avoid all of that, which is curious because the Bible says much about suffering for our faith and persecution for his namesake. A lot more to talk about. Christopher Smith is with us today. He's co-authored Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll take a brief time out. In fact, let's not take it brief. We'll make it slow. (laughs) We've got traffic. Maybe you've got that slow experience in your life already today. Take a deep breath, and we'll return to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking today with author Chris Smith. Um, he has co-authored with John Pattison a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, this reaches into so many aspects of our faith, of the sustainability of same, at not just our faith, but also local congregations, um, uh, the body of Christ. And, you know, I guess in a day and an age, as we've been suggesting, Chris, where we have seen the emphasizing of um, uh, quantity over quality, this has really been uh, almost disastrous at certain levels to every aspect of, of faith within Western Christianity, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really, really broadly reaching. 
And, 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 and honestly, it's part of the reason that, I mean, one of the things that we kind of have experienced ourselves and have seen elsewhere um, is simply that uh, we tend to compartmentalize our faith, uh, that our faith has become more and more uh, not pertinent to the rest of our life. What we do on Sunday is kind of separate, a separate thing from what goes on uh, in, our, in our home or in, at our office place, um, whatever that may be. Um, and and we, we don't think that that's what uh, we have been called into. I mean, we think that God is reconciling all things in Christ uh, and that, that the wisdom of the gospel is, is pertinent um, to, our, to our family life, to our work life. And then part of the problem is that we've kind of, uh, kind of fragmented home from work, from church, from, uh, from maybe other social activities or whatever. But, um, and, and those spheres of our lives don't uh, interact with each other very much. Um, and I mean, part of what we're encouraging as we slow down is to to allow God to to heal some of those uh, fragmentations and find ways for for our lives not to be uh, quite so fractured. And that fracture, that fragmentation, seems to be clearly an outgrowth of the emphasis on quantity over quality. I mean, let's face it, if we're left with a choice of either going deeper or going quicker, um, culture today has sort of um, programmed us. We have been, uh, uh, almost like Pavlov's dog, trained to respond to the quicker, not realizing how much we're missing in the going deeper. I mean, is it any wonder that we compartmentalize then and we relegate God to a brief hour-long experience on Sunday mornings and maybe for, uh, you know, a half hour or so uh, Wednesdays, if, if he's that fortunate, because we don't see the value in the integration of our relationship with the Lord in every aspect of our life, in every day of our life, because let's face it, we've never perhaps ever seen the what that means to, to be modeled in front of us. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I think that... Uh, I mean, part of the part of the reason for that again is the the advertising culture uh, that we're in the midst of that that always uh, encourages encourages us to seek more, more, more. We need we need a new car, we need a new house, we need uh, a vacation, uh, whatever whatever uh, the advertisers are selling. Um, but 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 the kind of the collective effect of that is always encouraging us to to desire more, more, more. And what we need, I think, is, is a transformation of our desires, um, uh, a transformation to, to, to not desire more, but to desire to, to, to go deeper in the, the relationships that, that we already have. Well, and doesn't it become a vicious cycle, too? Because the more and more and more that takes us to a more shallower degree, it's sort of the, the quick high, the quick fix um, in life at so many levels, becomes terribly unfulfilling, I would suspect, after yeah. a while. And so then you're, you're motivated to go after more because at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to, to obtain something that, that is not a product of the, the faster, the quicker, the more, but of the slow and the deliberate and the deep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that we focus on in a chapter later in the book is the, the practice of gratitude, of being thankful. And I think that's, that's one of the, the ways that God has provided for us to kind of resist uh, this or to, to, um, to start to put us on a journey toward healing and, and being transformed out of this culture that always wants more and more and more, to, to learn to be grateful for, for the things that, uh, that God has provided for us. Uh, for the relationships that God has provided for us and, and the, the resources that God has provided us with, uh, both as individuals and as congregations. Um, and, and I think if we, the, the greater uh, the, we learn to practice thankfulness, gratitude, um, I think that we'll start to, 
to see some see some transformation. It really comes down to the sense of being grateful, which causes you to pause and look at all that is around you. What's the old phrase about stopping to smell the roses? Oh, yeah. And we're, we're rushing down the street and along the way. Uh, we don't have time to capture the sights nor the fragrance because we're just too busy thinking about uh, what we're doing next, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing in 20 minutes. Um, I, I guess the big question is, since that sort of manic approach to life is so inbred in so many of us, I mean, I would wonder, even as we're talking right now, and there are people that are listening to our conversation on the drive home who, even though they recognize the danger and the illegality of browsing text messages, are doing it as we speak because they just can't, simply can't wait to see what that text message might say. How, how do we get off of this roller coaster ride to pause long enough to say we need to do some serious introspection here about our priorities and where we give time? No, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, just, I mean, just that example that you gave of, of checking text, text messages while you're driving, I mean, that's a, that's a potential... Uh, that has the potential of death for for you and and someone and others around you. Um, and uh, it's interesting that the Bible, I mean, kind of talks about uh, the connection between uh, the way of sin and death. And, and 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 I think that that's I mean part of the consequences of of living too fast. I mean, is I mean is ultimately uh, death. Um, and, and maybe uh, it's not always going to happen hopefully it won't always happen but but there's always that potential there uh, when we're trying to do too much and not being attentive uh, to what's going on around us particularly in a culture where we like ours today where we use heavy machinery like cars and and so forth and i mean there's the risk the risk is well, there's also, I think, a degree of risk, as I use that as an example, from a spiritual standpoint, because as you talk about in the book, Slow Church, this culture of unreflective speed also means that we might be inclined to just kind of, at the surface, buy into any whim, any uh, doctrine that comes our way, because it sounds okay, or yeah, I've read a little bit of scripture, that seems to be in harmony, and so we don't take the time to research, we're, we're not fruit inspectors, we don't tr- test the spirits to see if they are of God, there, there are so many aspects of what we are warned to do in a slow, thoughtful, deliberate fashion from a spiritual growth standpoint, from a relation with Christ standpoint, that is it any wonder that we have not only just a sloppy religion, sloppy relationships, but then uh, so often so many within the church today are just pulled to and fro at any, pardon me, any whim of, of false teaching because it's a culture of unreflective speed. Sure. I mean, you go into a Christian bookstore and then that's, that sort of sloppiness is, uh, is reflected. I mean, I, I don't... I'm not going to name any particular names, uh, but but that sort of kind of uh, I mean everything from prosperity gospel to uh, uh, self-help sorts of stuff. I mean it's all there, and it's all it's all really not that reflective. Um, it's just kind of a, a quick fix of what will make us feel good. If you've just tuned into our conversation, we're visiting today with Chris Smith, co-author of Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll talk a bit about what this means, how we can slow down the pace, and what the benefits can be, not only in terms of our own um, family well-being and and mental health, but ultimately for spiritual well-being and the well-being of our communities. We'll come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. 
Our nation's pandemic and subsequent financial crisis has affected hundreds of thousands. Many of those hardest hit are right here in the Bay Area. Many are neighbors, friends, even folks we go to church with. Jobless, hopeless, homeless. Since 1965, the Bay Area Rescue Mission has been caring for the homeless and impoverished, providing food, shelter, and a fresh start for those struggling with addiction or personal crisis. The Bay Area Rescue Mission delivers the hope of the gospel message to each and every one they reach. Simply go to bayarearescue.org. At this critical time, with so many lives in financial turmoil, your partnership with the Bay Area Rescue Mission helps meet the physical needs of hurting families and the spiritual needs as well. To share your tax-deductible gift of hope, today, simply go to bayarearescue.org. Love without limits. The Bay Area Rescue Mission. bayarearescue.org. bayarearescue.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about Slow Church today, not just the book, but the entire notion. This is the the polar opposite of this uh, fast approach that we've taken to rapid growth that certainly does a lot in terms of of sort of the quick um, flash in the pan, uh, brilliant moment uh, of success. But then, of course, leaves many questions pertaining to the sustainability of not just one's faith, but frankly, of the community, of the body of believers. And as we're learning from our guest today, co-author Chris Smith, um, quite frankly, this, this rapid fast, sort of the, uh, the franchise approach to Christianity, doesn't do a lot in terms of um, spiritual depth of individuals, let alone the sustainability of the church. And maybe therein lies the problem, that we're learning that the, the rapid results today are, in fact, at the expense of long-term sustainability. Yes, definitely, Craig. I mean, we see that, like you were saying earlier, that church plants uh, tend to have a lifespan of maybe a couple years. And also, I think part of the issue, questions of sustainability, um, one of the questions that doesn't get looked at so much uh, is, is the ways in which uh, churches move uh, from one neighborhood uh, to another um, and what the, what the impact might be of that sort of tr- uh, transition uh, on the neighborhoods um, that are left. I mean, I live in an urban neighborhood in, here in Indianapolis, and we've kind of seen the effects, the sort of vacuum that's left uh, when a church uh, or any other institution of business, uh, but, but especially in this case in churches, um, when they move out of a neighborhood. Um, and uh, and it, it can be, it can be uh, pretty powerful, and it's something that churches don't think about a lot, about uh, what, what has happened uh, in the places that they leave behind. Mm. So that loss of commitment to a neighborhood, and oftentimes there's a disaster left behind because then what might have been uh, the only beacon of hope in a particular community, and this certainly has been very true in a lot of inner cities, um, sure. it completely uh, collapses, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. It was, it's interesting. Our church, the church I'm part of, Anglo Christian Church here in, Indiana, in the near, urban near east side of Indianapolis, uh, we're 118 years old, uh, but we've basically been in the same place uh, for for all of that history. Um and uh, at one point, uh, at kind of a low point in the size of our congregation, the history of our congregation, uh, we ha- were faced with the decision, do we stay in this neighborhood or do we move out uh, to the suburbs where a lot of our members are? And the leaders of the church decided at that point that it was very important for us to stay. And basically for the last 25 years or so since that decision, we've been on a journey of trying to, to understand what it means for us to be a church in this place since we made a very intentional decision to stay here. 
A lot of times churches will move because they feel overwhelmed by many of the problems that are facing a neighborhood and, quite frankly, maybe feel ill-equipped to be able to ascertain what those problems are and to best address them. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what we've seen in the recent passing of Robin Williams, who is, um, because of his connections to the San Francisco Bay Area, has been sure. quite a, an ongoing topic here of the last couple of weeks. Uh, some folks might have seen um, a comments made uh, the other night by David Letterman, um, who um, knew Robin early on in his career, and uh, Mr. Williams had been a guest on the Letterman show apparently about 50 times down through uh, the, the years, and at the end of his very emotional, moving tribute to him, uh, had made a remark about, well, if he'd only knew about how much pain Robin was in, and it dawns on me that we in the church maybe are guilty often of the same thing, that we are too busy and moving too fast to notice when others around us are hurting, the very ones that God would call upon us to bring healing to or hope to or his gospel to, and maybe, you know, what uh, what was remarked by David Letterman last night regarding Robin Williams is indicative of a place where a lot of us in the church are at today, which is moving too fast to notice those around us that are really hurting. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I think you're, you're definitely hitting on something there, Craig. Um, that, I mean, one of the things that's been fascinating to us is that, I mean, you just look at, you talk, we talked about earlier, a little bit earlier about the franchising uh, aspect of it, and you look at a McDonald's or you look at a Starbucks or a Home Depot or whatever, and those, are, those sorts of institutions look pretty much the same whether you're in San Francisco or San Antonio or wherever else. Um, and I think that a lot of times... Uh, Churches can be that way. They can look and feel pretty much the same wherever wherever they are. And, they, and churches have kind of become almost um, uh, unattentive to uh, to the places uh, where they exist. Um, and again, that's part of the, the sort of fragmentation. Uh, churches have come to see themselves as kind of part of spiritual life, uh, not necessarily engaged in the life of the communities in which they exist. Um, and I, I think that that's, I think it's in that sort of engagement with the communities where we exist, where the, the wisdom of the gospel is, uh, and the, the call to, to be peacemakers and all those other sorts of things that, that we're called to in Christ. Uh, those, that's where that witness is borne out, uh, in, in engagement with, with our neighbors. Um, so I think you're absolutely right that, that we, there are many ways that we've become unaware of the, the pain and suffering around us. And, you know, even closer to home, I mean, again, that, that rush means that there's a risk of well-being to family and our own mental health, our own spiritual well-being, because we're not taking the time uh, to go deep enough because uh, we're just not programmed that way. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that I don't, don't want to overstep here, but, but it's interesting to me that there's a correlation uh, between our continuing to move faster and faster and, and the rise in uh, mental illness, for instance. Um, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that they're connected, but it's interesting that uh, that they seem to uh, follow very similar uh, curves. Um, Is a lot of this also tied into not just a desire to do things faster and more instantaneous, but also uh, coupled with this indicative of a, a lack of maturity that is uh, maybe as a as a watchword, uh, tremendously impatient, and a culture where, on an increasing basis, we wish to avoid not only work but any pain. I mean, it used to be you know a, a good hard day's worth of labor mm-hmm. where you came home with tired muscles and and completely beat. That was you had a sense of satisfaction and 
reward about that. And today, it's almost as if that has shunned. And so if we're not willing to, to exercise our physical muscles and experience a little bit of, you know, stretching pain in the experience, um, I wonder if that's indicative of, of the same thing when it comes to not willing, being willing to spirit to exercise our spiritual muscles, that we're afraid of avoiding pain in any aspect of life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's one of the things that we talk about in the book, that, I mean, the way of Jesus... Uh, is the the way of compassion. I mean, just the incarnation itself of Jesus coming to earth uh, was an act of compassion. Jesus entered into all the pain and suffering, and the joys, of course, too, but but the pain and suffering of the human experience. And that's what we're called to do uh, with one another in our church congregations and with our neighbors. And I think that what we're seeing, I talked a little bit before about kind of the history of industrialization and how we've become more and more uh, impatient and have more greater and greater expectations for speed but one of the other effects of it is like you were saying that it, it conditions us to to want to avoid work and suffering we look at the rise of the in the mid 20th century the rise of the quote unquote labor saving device uh, and that's a wonder, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing i'm not saying that we should not use any sort of electrical gadget or whatever uh, but but we do need to be aware of what what the cost of that is and what if we're saving labor to what end are we saving labor um, and and the effect of that i believe is exactly what you were describing that we it, we are having greater and greater difficulty entering into the the pains and sufferings of others because we've been conditioned to avoid pain and suffering at all costs and of course, the irony is that pain and suffering also translates into notions of persecution. Um, and, you know, somehow the notion that we as the church in America are uniquely um, given a pass on the idea of pain and suffering or persecution, when the scripture, of course, doesn't say that at all. And um, there is a dynamic that speaks quite heavily to uh, that lack of being willing to uh, to suffer for his name's sake, as Chris, scripture calls us to, indicative, too, of this notion of kind of being uh, uh, the church that's, what's the old saying, 10 miles wide and an inch deep? Right. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, I don't think that we should necessarily seek out persecution, but I mean, I think that there are ways that our desires for comfort uh, uh, kind of compromises our willingness to, to speak the truth in, in difficult situations, uh, whether that's in the public square or in our congregations. Um, and I think that has, that has uh, ramifications. Our conversation today with Chris Smith. He is co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. If you are someone who is a uh, student of uh, everything that is fast and rapid and you wish to overemphasize a, a quality, quantity rather over quality, this is probably not a book for you. If, on the other hand, you're somebody who would rather not go quicker in your relationship with God but go deeper, then this indeed can be a book that can be a tremendous eye-opener not only for your own relationship with Christ, but at the family level and at the community level. The book again, Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus, newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores around the Bay Area, not in the rapid church growth section, though, I might add. <laughs> and, of course, on Amazon.com. And our thanks to co-author Chris Smith for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Americans are becoming less faith-filled, especially among young adults, according to a new poll. Judging by such markers as church attendance, prayer, and belief in God, the trend is more pronounced among young adults. In fact, the share of U.S. adults who say they're absolutely certain that God exists fell 63% in 2015 from 71%, just a scant six years before. The percentage of Americans who pray every day, attend church services regularly, and 
considered religion important in their lives is also down. The trend most pronounced among young adults, as we say, with only half of those born between 1990 and 1996 absolutely certain of their belief in God, compared to 71% of those born between 1928 and 1945. But in spite of these trends, the thirst for something real is as high as it has ever been. So what do we make of this? And as we look at some of the events taking place around the world with uh, the explosion of global terrorism and the increase of of the Islamic threat around the planet, um, can we conclude that Christianity is dead or is there an awakening that is slowly beginning to take place and perhaps some places that we would least likely to expect it? With some answers, we're joined now by evangelist and best-selling author Nikki Cruz. You know of, of course, as uh, the subject of the wildly famous book, The Cross and the Switchblade, also author of Run, Baby, Run, which has been translated into more than 40 languages worldwide. Nikki, by the way, is going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area for a couple of very special events coming up at the end of April. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. Meanwhile, Nikki Cruz, great to have you on the program. Thank you so much, uh, Greg. I'm, I'm so very happy to to hear somebody from the Bay Area because my wife, she was from there. That's when I stole Gloria away from, from the Bay Area, and I took her to the East Coast, to New York. So... I'm so happy to hear somebody from the West Coast. Well, and we're pleased to have you coming to the San Francisco Bay Area in April, and we'll share more details a little bit. But I want to first give some perspective to this poll that I mentioned here, uh, indicating that uh, young people in particular in America seem to be becoming less faith-filled or, or less religious. And yet, in spite of these trends, there's some amazing things taking place in parts of the world that otherwise we would have thought would be the last place that God would be afoot with a special move of his Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, you have had two major crusades um, in, in the past months. Uh, you've just returned from a massive crusade all across Argentina, where literally tens of thousands of people were attending um, evangelistic services all across the country. But I want to go back even further to your visit to France in May of a year ago. Now, once again, of course, Europe very much in the news, most recently with the Islamic attacks in Brussels, Belgium. Of course, we know that Paris was the victim of those horrific attacks, first at the offices of the uh, satire magazine Charlie Hebdo, more recently the Paris attacks. Tell us what is God doing in France today? Uh, You know, Craig, I do believe that uh, the condition in the United States have been, uh, in a way, uh, especially the Christians, uh, we, we have let this thing happen. Uh, this is spiritual decay or this is spiritual situation because some way, somehow, uh, we always look America, the, the, the country, or the free. But when you go to Europe or you go to, like I've been all over the area from, from Russia to to. Latvia and and Italy, other places. I find now that France. I did seventeen tours there, crusades, and in Paris, that place where they killed the eighty people. I was I was the last person who spoke there, and there were small people outside and inside. And there, I want to I want to warn the people in the United States that the people in France they are, are waking up because they began to feel. The same thing that you were saying in the beginning, that there was a tremendous spiritual emptiness. And these things, they are now, they are open 
because every place that I went, it was so packed that there was more people outside than inside. And the hungry of the people, the young people. You know, there was a place that they, they have about over 3,000 young people that spend three days just praying and worshiping the Lord and asking the Lord to take them all over France so they can evangelize France. So, so the fear is there. Yes, the fear is there. But this fear had bring a tremendous revival of faith. People began to, uh, to awaken to the situation that the only thing that is left out, that there's a God that came to this earth by the name of Jesus Christ that could be the answer for all the situation that is taking place. It was amazing how people run to the altar. I was in a place that it was more Muslims, Right there, there was over, over about close to 5,000 of, of them. And you should see the way they were running to the altar. And, and it, it, it was amazing. And, and, and in Lyon, uh, they had to have about four different places to accommodate the people from the main place. And, 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 and people, you didn't have to put... You didn't have to put a show. You just be yourself. You just let the Holy Spirit work through you. And, 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 and Greg, if you go over there, they are open. They began to be more open. Uh, they're more concerned about American evangelists than many we have going over there with the spirit of prosperity and all these things. And they were, that, that's the reason they closed. But they began to see that the other people, many Christians, uh, uh, people that they know, that they have the facts that you spoke about the facts, that is the thing that, that they are looking for. They're looking for reality. And right now, they're looking for their own country, for their own, uh, the young people and the pastor. They are doing every, everything to stir up the spirit of the youth. Yeah, the amazing thing is that uh, Europe, of course, had been the cradle of not only Western civilization, but Christianity for centuries. Then we've seen this slow trend toward secular humanism, but it, perhaps particularly in the wake of some of these horrific terrorist attacks that uh, people in France, particularly young people, as you say, Nikki, uh, have a hunger for something real. They see the, the emptiness in, in, in wealth and finance and prosperity. Uh, they see the futility of, of many of what the occults try to offer. At the end of the day, they see politics is certainly not an answer, and they're looking for something real upon which to build their lives and give them a sense of hope. And of course, that singularly exists in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think some of this trend, too, is because of the response out of fear? We certainly saw it here in America after the 9-11 attacks, where churches were filled to the rafters on the Sundays immediately following that, when people realized, I think, just how fragile life really is. Yes, I, 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 you've got a point there. Uh, I believe that, that I've, uh, and I think that uh, that I'm going back again I, 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 in September. I'm going back, and I'm going. And this time, they have a place that come there about ten thousand, and they're going to be. I want to spend two nights with the gypsy. The gypsy, they follow me all over, like a caravan, and sometimes they come for 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 twenty four hours, and then pack themselves to to get into the the crusades. In this time, I want to go to them. And then I'm going to go to Paris, and then I'm going to go to Lyon, 
and other 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 city about and this time and I'm gonna go to seventh city and I'm gonna just go over there and a lot of people t- uh, tell me especially my my pastor told me why you pick the most dangerous area and I say because I died. I died when I was 19 years old when I gave my life to Jesus. I'm just resurrected. There's nothing else but to give your life totally to Jesus Christ and to do what Christ, he is the protector. He's the one who keep you, uh, keep you with that kind of spirit uh, of resurrection. So, so there's no fear here. The only thing that is here is go and do and make disciples just like Jesus told us to do. And, and 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 I'm so happy. I, when I left, I, I, I left very tired because you got to go by airplane, train, cars, and all of buses and all of this. And it took me about two weeks to recuperate. But man, when I saw the glory of the Lord coming down in a magnificent, humble way, and I saw young people crying. Uh, if, if, if the officer sent you. Uh, a video where you can see these children, this kid, teenager, crying, sobbing so hard. This is French kid, blue eyes, all kinds, and and, and the people in the hotels, in the street, in the restaurant where we used to come, we used to talk about Jesus, and and they were happy. That's something. That's and that happened in Argentina. Argentina, there was no place that could hold the crowd. They said the, the, the play was so packed, the stadium was so packed that there's people, there was more people outside, and they had to listen. And when I made the altar call, they were coming from everywhere, from the street. They used to make the, the ways right through, through the crowd and come forward to give their life to Jesus Christ. I do believe in, in the days of Billy Graham. I do believe in the day of Dave Wilkerson. I take the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, to really bring convictions into the hearts of the people. And right now, the United States, I'm concerned, because the United States has become a, a place uh, that drugs are it taking, it, it taking place. And you know what is, what is dangerous, Greg? What I see that is dangerous is that the prescription drugs, it is the thing that is, is infiltrated not only the, 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 the ghetto, but the middle class, and the upper middle class, and one pill, just one pill, that you have to ease the pain, the physical pain, when this is more a, 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 a spiritual pain, a soul pain. One pill costs $80. So what happened is that these people, rich people, then go in the street, and there they find out the heroin is cheaper. And that's the reason you heard all this news that our city are turning into heroin streets. Because, and the young people, they're, they're, they're caught up into any kind of drugs that can make them high. And, and the United States, we feel that what happened, is we, we, we cut up in the books of number and we forgot to walk through the pages of the book of Acts, where there's action, miracle, signs, wonder. This is not different. By the way, this is ready to explode. Either we go all the way here and lay our life for the truth, for who Christ is, 
and this nation can be changed because right now Argentina has a revival. There's a revival in Argentina. The president, the new president, is is open. It's open for everything. The other one who left, it was a communist. So, so I I do believe God has something to do with all of this. If you've just joined our conversation, our visitation today with evangelist Nikki Cruz. Nikki, by the way, is coming to the San Francisco Bay Area. He's going to be speaking on Thursday, April the 21st at 7 p.m. at Christian Cathedral. That's located at 2433 Coolidge Avenue in Oakland. And then on Sunday, April the 24th at 1 p.m. at Victory Outreach Hayward. Complete details available on Nikki's website at NikkiCruz.org. That's NikkiCruz.org. We'll take a brief time out back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 